Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. This was such a good idea. And a good cover for my mix-up. I mean, it's Thursday. Broadway curtains are usually at 7 p.m. on Thursday, not 8. Hey, not a problem. That just gives us a chance to sit and enjoy a drink here at the Palm and people watch. Which is very perfect because you never know who you're going to see. I think the only better place for spotting celebrities here on Broadway is down at the bar at Sardi's. I mean, it would be great to see some celebrities, but come on. We aren't really going to bother them. So let's focus on what's really important. The cocktails. In that case, I say cheers to that. And cheers to the theater. I'll drink to that. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the one-woman show, I'll Eat You Last. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Are you looking for the latest piece of gossip? Then you came to the right place. Because we have all the details in stores. We discussed the titillating show, I'll Eat You Last. Audiences flocked to the theater to hear all the stories spilled by Sue Mangers from her many years working in the entertainment industry. But before we can arrive in Hollywood, we need to pack our bags with the groundwork. First, some backstory from the playwright. I'll Eat You Last began with a memorable encounter when I met Sue Mangers herself. It was at a dinner party in 2008. I was, by far, the least famous person at the table, so she didn't have much time for me, but I was fascinated by her persistent in my conversation volleys. Finally, she deigned to glance over her tinted glasses and speak to me and I got a full frontal assault from her famed super agent persona. The wicked wit, constant cigarettes, lacerating aside, flowing caftan and stevedore language. When she lit up a joint and a cigarette at the same time, I was hooked. But what most intrigued me about Sue was a sense of sadness, a deep resignation, a powerful woman whose time had passed her by. Late in the evening, I asked her what had changed most about Hollywood since she had arrived. She didn't hesitate for a second. Honey, we used to have fun. That Sue Mangers, bemused, self-aware, and poignant, stayed with me and was finally the reason I wrote the play. The playwright of the show was John Logan, director Joe Mantello, scenic design by J- Scott Pask, costume design by Ann Roth, Lighting design by Hugh Vanstone, sound design by Fitz Patton, hair design by Mary Brunetti, and makeup design 
by Oslin Holder. The show would arrive at the Booth Theater on April 24, 2013, and ran for a limited engagement of 71 performances, closing on June 30, 2013. So, let's head into the lines, then. There isn't much of a synopsis to the story itself, which runs 90 minutes. For more than 20 years, Sue Manger's clients were the talk of the town, and her dinner parties were the envy of Hollywood. Now you're invited into her glamorous Beverly Hills home for an evening of dish, dirty secrets, and all the inside showbiz details. Only Sue can tell you. The The end. end. Let's discuss the parts we like and the parts that might need improvement. Are you liking the songs I'm coming up with yet? Not in the least. Oh, darn. Talk about a short synopsis. Yeah. Um. Okay. I'm trying to think of if we can give the listeners like any more information. This literally is like just listening to... An, an iconic person just kind of tell their stories from days gone by. They're just remarking about this one time at a party, this one time at a party. That person, that one character from American Pie, this one time at band camp, this one time at band camp, it's like that. Yes. You know, you're hearing these these juicy tidbits about days gone by, but they're actually based on true stories is the great thing. So you've got Bette Midler up there playing Sue Mangers, and she's answering phone calls as she's prepping for a dinner party and the different people she's talking about or talking to triggers these memories and she's smoking cigarette after cigarette and she's like and then there's one time and she'll just basically rant and ramble for 90 minutes and it's wonderful so a very clever story really an acting by Bette Midler especially since most of it's done from the couch yeah like, she barely moves. Um, well, she gets up and walks around a little bit, but the bulk of it, she just sits around the couch and she's just she's just talking. Yeah. A Broadway theater, too. If this was, like, an off-Broadway theater, it'd be more like, okay, we're just sitting and, and gal-palling and gossiping around, but it's a Broadway theater, you know. It, it was like a gossip column brought to life. Yeah. Um, I just was looking into um, who some of her clientele were. Oh, my gosh. So... Uh, some of the names include uh, Cher, yep, Bob Fosse, um, Gore Vidal, and Barbara Streisand. Oh yeah! At one point or another, like she managed the top of the top in Hollywood. They they were with her, and then they weren't. I mean, it's incredible the people that she managed. Um, and if you look up clips of of the show, and then you also look up clips of. Sue Mangers and interviews and that, the likeness is incredible. I feel like we just did an episode about impersonation with Judy Garland. Now we're impersonating Sue Mangers. You know, it's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's... This seems like an odd subject to turn into a Broadway play, but... The character of Sue Mangers is just so captivating. She needed to be... uh, Immortalized. It is. She is a theatrical character. Is the thing. 
she, she she lived her life like she was the star of the Sue Manger show. Like there, there's a great 60 Minutes interview uh, about what she does and how she built like her empire. And like watching her, I'm like, oh my god, you are such a theatrical character. You are such a larger than life personality. One of those people will not believe you are real. Can I just record you? Because people will not believe you are real. Um, and uh, and obviously audiences eat that up. Nobody wants to watch like a regular person make toast. But we could watch Sue Mangers chain smoking making toast because she'll take 30 minutes to make toast because she'll tell us 15 stories about I made toast once with Gore Vidal. Right. Gore Vidal and Barbara Streisand who couldn't agree on what kind of bread to use to make the best toast. And I'm sitting there and all I wanted was a piece of effing toast smoking, you know. <laughs> right. And it's like, yes, that's the person I want to watch. Not someone that's like, I paid the power bill, pop toast, butter, crunch, you know. Mm-hmm. So in theater, we always want the, the biggest personality, the largest than life character on stage. And that's what we got out of this. So, since we could sit here and gush about Sue Mangers, the person, constantly, why don't we move into talking about the, the different design, pieces? Yes. So, let's start with set because it's literally the foundation on which oh, the action So, takes I can't place. sing, but you can make these terrible puns. Okay. I see what game we're playing. All right. The set was gorgeous. A fully furnished Beverly Hills living room. How gorgeous is that? Right. It was... It was giving me other Desert Cities vibes. What's funny is I remember seeing the show and going, I didn't think the stage was that small. Only to yes. realize it was just because that's how they built the set. Yes, I was thinking that they too. They wanted it to be very intimate. Because the next time we saw a show at the Booth Theater, I was like, I don't remember the set or the stage being this big. The next show I believe we saw was Hand to God. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't remember the stage being this big. Like... Did it get? Did they build it bigger or something? No, it's just that's how intimate they built the set. It was yeah for I'll Eat You Last because we had seen other shows, you know, at the booth before. uh, Next to normal, yeah, and it was huge. It was big enough for a musical. Like, but here we were in this moment, this intimacy that was created, and it was just like. It's so tiny. I'm in the living room. I'm sitting on the couch, even though we were up in the freaking balcony. I know. Um, The white phone. That white phone. The white phone that was always present so that we could hear her. Sue Mangers! Can't get that out of my head. It has been nine years and I still see Mangers. Um, I remember the windows in the back, like by the door, I think it was. Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about, right? There were like these, these tall, slender glass windows, obviously mm-hmm. glass windows. Um, and there were pebbles in the back, too. So I wasn't sure. Oh, yes. I'm not sure if it was like the front door or if it was the back because. At Sue's place in, in Beverly Hills, um, she had a giant pool. And, of course, the, the running joke is that, like, everybody has a pool in Beverly Hills that they never use. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't know if it was that. Um, and then just the continuous use of cigarettes to me was, was really brilliant because in real life, Sue Mangers was a heavy smoker. So the fact that Bet's up there just, you know... If, it, if, if this had been done in the winter, we all could have been kept warm because there was just a chimney plugging away on stage. Um, it was incredible because it should be noted that real cigarettes are never used on stage. Correct. Um, so don't worry. It, you know, oh, Bette Midler's not going to uh, 
develop a, a smoking habit. But it, I was just like, this is incredible. Like, away she went, you know. So, yeah, that, that set was something. Was I still def- can't get over how small it made the stage feel. I know. I think we'd also, uh, you know, it would be a tragedy to not mention the costume. Costume. Yeah, I was going to say costume. Because she didn't change. No, she was in this, like, floral, like, silk, I want to say it's pajamas, but it's not. But then, of course, the iconic robe on top. Caftan. No, it oh. wasn't a robe. It was a caftan. That's right. Sue Mangers doesn't wear robes. She wears caftans. That's right. And then, of course, what else does she always wear? The tinted, tinted glasses. Yes. Oh my gosh! I mean, I'm I was just living for it. I was like, I mean, honestly, looking at pictures of Bette Midler as Sue Mangers, and then looking at Sue Mangers with the hair too. Yeah, the hair was, was like spot on. It was all just spot on, which was so, really just very nice. Full disclosure: I had no idea who Sue Mangers was before oh, seeing same. the show. So after seeing this, I'm like, okay, who the hell is this woman? And I, you know, God bless Google. Because we didn't have to go to the New York Public Library and grab the Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, you know, or what was that digital encyclopedia that everybody used? I can't remember right now, but I remember listening to all the clips on it. Uh, Grolier. Um, I'm dating myself now. Anyway. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, we could just do a quick Google search after the show. We looked her up and I was like, oh, okay. And like a lot of things fall into place, but I was just like, this was amazing. Everyone obviously did their homework, you know, because it was, it, all the boxes were getting checked. Um, so that even for someone like us who had no idea who Sue Mangers were and we're just like, great, that's probably what she looked like to people who religiously follow this woman. We were like, yes, that is her. So I thought, like I said, brilliant on the, the costume Top to bottom. And then, you know, pair that with Bette Midler. Bette Midler can do no wrong. Bette Midler's in that, that class of actresses who could just, like, sit and read a phone book and make it exciting. But, but, but truly, Bette Midler can make reading a phone book exciting. Yes. Let's be real. Yes. I love Bette Midler. So, let's go into the lights. There, there wasn't... I mean, it, it was a 90-minute show of her just gossiping. So, there really wasn't much lighting effect. Um... But what what was happening, which was subtle, was the showing of the passage of time. Because um, as we were talking, it was we, we joined them in the afternoon, joined her in the afternoon, mm-hmm. as we're approaching a dinner party, and it goes to the evening. And I remember the sunset and those windows I was talking about with the pebbles, and then there were little lights in the pebbles that would come on. Mm-hmm. So showing that passage of time was really gorgeous. So getting to see a sunset in the background... That was really, really gorgeous. Well, I just remember the lighting being very natural. Like, it was like we were in a bright-filled living room that just had natural light in it. But the shadows would creep in. Yeah. So it and forced the, her to turn the on the light. Would, yes. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that would be the only lighting effect. But for a play with such stillness and simplicity, the fact that that's what had to be developed for the lighting. I mean, hello, that's great. It could have been just on and off. But we, they found depth. They found movement. They found life. I think that's that's worth noting. And then let's talk about Joe Mantello and his direction. I love Joe Mantello. He is one of those names that when I see his name on direction, I go, yes, please. 
He did Wicked. He did The Normal Heart. He did a production of The Glass Menagerie that I didn't get to see with Sally Field. He did this. Like, Joe Mantello is... I just adore him. I love Joe Mantello. There I said it. Um, but anyway, so I, I thought the direction on the show was wonderful. Um, I really thought it did a... Re- you know, they did a really great job molding this great story and sculpting the performance in a way that could hold our attention for 90 minutes. Especially when the bulk of the acting was done from the sitting position. Now, yes, she got up, she paced a little, she walked around. I mean, it's not like she sat there for a whole 90 minutes. But the bulk of the show was done from the couch. Yeah. And so to be able to... Be captivated by a woman sitting on a couch... Yep. ...is pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. And to sculpt that... To sculpt dialogue, essentially, because there's no real action, you know, outside of the phone. There's no other character coming in. There's no, you know what I mean? Yeah. So to to sculpt that, to really bring us to a hierarchy is is amazing. Um, But it's also a true testament to Bette Midler's acting ability, that she could give such an incredible performance and convey so much by doing so little. Uh, Now, Bette Midler, Ms. Midler is no stranger to a one-woman show. No. I mean, she is known for her one-woman shows. Um, So I'm not surprised that she was able to do a one-woman show by any means. But to do a performance like this, it's just another, you know, trick in the bag. It's a reminder of her greatness. Yeah. You know, she, she didn't get up and sing any songs or anything like that. She just sit there and she told gossip and everything. And I was like, I just... She is Bette Midler. She she is freaking Bette Midler, and she is so good at what she does. Yeah. And anyone who thinks she just gets up and she does the same old stick is completely wrong because this was different than anything I've ever seen her do. So I love that about her. This show starred the legendary Bette Midler. You don't say. Right? So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Theatrical impact... Okay, so this is another show that it's hard to figure out what the theatrical impact is. But if I had to put my finger on it. Um, it brought a story of a larger-than-life Hollywood figure to the Broadway stage. And, you know, that that is somewhat of an impact. Of I mean, it does it does solidify <laughs> Sue Mangers in theater history. Yeah, because she didn't play a huge role in the theater, but more in Hollywood. Right, and, I mean, it's one thing to have a documentary about her. It's a whole nother to turn her into a character for people to play. Right. Um, the other theatrical impact I think is important is it played a nearly sold-out run. Right. And I think uh, where Broadway is, I mean, look, Broadway's a theater. We, we want to believe that it's all art, art, art. It is a commercial area. And so to be able to play a nearly sold-out run the entire, you know, that's, that's incredible. Especially a one-woman show. And I mean, it is Bette Midler. But still, I mean, that's, that's huge. In regards to societal impact, I couldn't come up with anything. I, didn't I don't think, this think was there was. It didn't really thing. impact society. No, I think this was just like for entertainment's sake. We're just going to hear gossip, you know. We're just going to hear bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Read a phone book. 
So is the show still relevant? I don't think the show is relevant for Broadway. It could be a fun piece or regional or collegiate or even community theaters. You know, it's a small show that's accessible for most audiences as long as the right actress is driving the part. Yeah. The actress is what makes the show. You, yeah. You have to have a big personality actress who can command that stage and that audience for 90 minutes. Yeah. But as as far as Broadway? No. I mean... Not right now. No. No. Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show once back in 2013. And um, I remember, <laughs> this is back in our marathon days, mm-hmm. back when we were younger, I remember being so tired after staying up all day the day before preparing for the Tonys, the 66th annual Tony Awards. And then as soon as the Tonys were done, because we used to have a big Tonys party, and then as soon as they were done, it was like, quick, get the hell out of our house. And we'd rush to the airport and take the red eye. We took the red eye out to New York. We'd always land here about 6 in the morning and rush from JFK into Midtown. But we'd get to our hotel where we'd drop our luggage off because you couldn't get into the room till 3. So then you're just wandering the city like a zombie mm-hmm. till 3, get into the hotel room, catch a quick nap after unpacking, and then off to dinner, then to the show. So we're seeing the show, like, on two... Well, you sleep on planes, but I don't. I But I didn't on this one. Because if I remember right, it was heavy turbulence. Yeah. And um, so we were struggling to stay awake, although the show being good, just because we were so exhausted. Right, that's what I remember, like... Fall, I remember thinking, oh my god, I'm going to fall asleep while Bette Midler's on stage. Oh my god. And then I was just so captivated that I stayed awake. Yeah. Now, after the show, we totally crashed. Oh, totally crashed. But, like, I just remember, like, panicking, like, oh my god, I'm going to fall asleep while Bette Midler's performing. I am the worst theater person in the world. And yeah. then I stayed awake. Yeah. It, it would be a few more years later that we'd be like, okay, I can't do the Red Eye thing anymore. I just, I can't. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that going into the show and then afterwards getting to meet Bette Midler and yes. get her autograph, um, which is in our library of playbills behind us where we record, um, which was incredible. And she came out in her, um, turban. Remember that turquoise turban? And she was in the turquoise caftan too. I don't remember that. I have the photo. Yeah, um, I don't She was that. so nice. She was so nice. Um, just an incredible human. So, I i mean, you know, now I just have to meet Barbara. Um, that's never going to happen, let's be real. <laughs> At least you're realistic in your expectations. I, I know. I mean, look, it's not about seeing stars. It's about seeing great performances. So, would I, you know, have I ever met Hugh Jackman? No. But have I gotten to see Hugh Jackman? Yes. Okay, so I'll, we'll tell our kids and our listeners. I got to see Hugh Jackman. He's not paying my bills. Um, uh, bad example. Bad example. Let me digress. Uh, Bette Midler's not paying my bills. Correct. So, Bette Midler's not And she doesn't know me by first name basis, but she signed a playbill for me, and I got to see her perform. That was incredible. So, But anywho, theater's back, guys. 
Um, theater's back. And we saved you a seat next to us, so we hope you can join us soon. You'll be able to catch all each last theater near you, maybe? We also want to remind you that you, you can become a patron, a producer, a donor of this show by getting your backstage pass. Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Good Louds, Nangdo, Music for Wildlife, Mela, and Billy Murray.